Welcome to the Dimensions book series by K. Arwen. An extraordinary tale of an inner journey and a battle of good against evil. In this podcast, the heroine Kaya tells her own story from book one, The Awakening. Our journey begins on the Scottish Isle of Skye. Parallel realities interconnect and interweave. Step in and enter Dimensions. Collective Space Station. The Cube Commander finished studying the data for the last collection and recoded the statistics into the system. He turned as two Cube Collectors walked into Central Command. Well, he asked, studying their impassive faces. We lost the target and the extraction unit was compromised. The commander paused before replying. Compromised? Affirmative. The intended target got away and the extraction took place on another. I take it you retrieved the cube, the commander said, and covered your tracks. I don't want the collective connected to this incident. Affirmative, came the reply. The target is now a skinwalker, and with no associations to the collective whatsoever. As far as he's concerned, he was spawned through the use of Earth's technology, like the others. The commander turned and walked away from the collectors. The collective needed the power source. He couldn't allow it to fall into the hands of the Matrix Lord. Very well, he said, turning back to face them. The Matrix Lord knows of the woman. We have to ensure we get to the target before he does. Go to the communication relay and contact the Matrix Lord. I'll be there directly. The cube collectors left the room and the commander spoke into another communication device on a control panel set in the wall. Yes? I need you to... Design an upgrade device for a human life form, the commander said, to the collector who was in the laboratory. What specifications? The subject has information that we need, but our intervention must not be traceable. The Matrix Lord will require that the subject is compliant, nothing more. There must be no evidence that we've extracted any information prior to delivery. The device will be ready within an hour. 
The commander ended the communication and, leaving the central command, headed to the communication relay. The Matrix Lord's hologram was already present. I don't like to be kept waiting, he said, his voice like ice. We discovered that there was an energy surge at your base and have traced its source to a human. Yes, I know of this. There was an uninvited guest. She's unpredictable. We will dispose of her, the commander said, calling the Matrix Lord's bluff. No, she's of use. She caused the crystal to pulse. She needs to be taken to the base and utilised to amplify the crystal's energy. The collective could ensure that she'll be compliant, the commander said, speaking as though he'd just come up with the idea and was offering the collective services. By way of help. She could be upgraded. The Matrix Lord thought on the suggestion for a moment. That could be useful. Yes, collect the walls and use them. Inform me when you've made the collection and completed the upgrade. And if, if I find that you're toying with me, I will retract all payment. The Matrix Lord ended the communication. The commander regarded the empty communication relay for a while. Some beings were so weak and gullible. Well, so be it. The power source was as good as theirs. placed my coffee back down onto the workbench. Do you ever feel like it's Groundhog Day? I say to Leodolf. Leodolf looks up. What do you mean? Well, you know, you wake up with the same thoughts going round and round your head and you make the same things for breakfast and then you set about the same routine. You know, Groundhog Day. Leodolf puts down the wood plane and takes a gulp of his own coffee. Yow, that's hot, he splutters. Let's go for a swim while it cools. He grabs me by the hand and pulls me to the door. You're a madman, it's hailing, I tease. Since when has that stopped you, comes a reply. We run down to the shore and discard our clothes plunge into the water. I gasp as a familiar icy chill floods through me and my head screams its objection. And then for a brief moment I feel complete calm before my stod my body starts to object to the cold shock. Yep, enough for me too, says Leodolf after swimming four or five strokes. My forearms are on fire already. We leave the water and, grabbing our clothes, walk back up the beach. It's funny, the water's freezing cold, but you feel the lovely warm afterglow when you get out. Do you think we've ever walked in the same footprints along this track? You know, putting our feet in the same places, I ask. Leodolf looks puzzled. What is it with you today? Although it is quite an interesting question. Well, what do you think? I think that probably we walk a slightly different way every day. But there are certain parts that are pretty the same. For instance, when we cross those slippery rocks just there, I always jump those. Or there's that one rock when you get across the the stream. We always have to stand on that, else you sink up to your knees. 
What's your point? My point is this, I reply. Life's a pathway, isn't it? And there are million zillion combinations that you can take. And if you're feeling in a groundhog situation and you're enjoying that sort of routine, well, that's great. Any groundhog isn't really an issue. But if, on the other hand, you're feeling trapped and uninspired, well, then it is. Perhaps then you need to consider the possibilities and do things differently. You know, mix it up. Leardog looks at me. It isn't really the groundhog experience that's a problem then, is it? He says. It's the feelings that go along with it. If you feel dissatisfaction, then yeah, you have to look at doing something different. Either way, surely you're going to get to the destination eventually, one way or the other. So, if my groundhog is my quest and I'm feeling stuck with it, then maybe I'm just overthinking it, but how am I going to get to the crystals and discover what to do next? Leodolf looks for a moment in thought. Well, the path has unravelled for you, so perhaps simply recognising and opening to the fact that you're Mag and, and Meg was Iana, well, that perhaps that will initiate the next step. Well, it hasn't though, has it? I say in reply. I'm just going round and round like good old Groundhog Day, bashing my head against the proverbial dead end. I just can't see a way forward. Hmm. Well, what signpost do you think you're missing? What signpost perhaps could help you get to Atlantia? I don't know. I'm all out of ideas. I walk across to the coffee pot and pour myself another cup. Well, perhaps if you're spontaneous and do what feels right, then... Maybe your feelings and your instinct will lead you, lead you forward. Leardorf looks at me intently. I'm not making any sense, am I? I shake my head. I just don't know how to get to Atlantia. Well, can't you just open a portal? Leardorf suggests. I've tried. But the symbol doesn't work. Not for getting to Atlantia. Well, perhaps there's a, a simple solution that... We just have overlooked, Lidolf replies. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I'm going to take these back to the house, at least at least in the house. Well, I feel like I belong there. I feel like it's home. Home, says Lidolf. That's it. You're at home in the water, Iana's home. You're at home here, Kaya's home. Well, where else do you feel at home? What about Meg's house? Perhaps that would be a good place to start. Meg's house, the ruined cottage. Why don't we go to the lock and have a picnic and just see? Perhaps our inspiration will bubble up just by being there. I smile. That sounds like a great plan. Any excuse for a, a trip out on the, in the rowing boat? Leodolf laughs. Okay, but let, let's just leave the mad dogs here. Fraser will keep an eye on them. As much as I love your dogs, Kaya, trying to keep a boat steady, when they're rummaging around, 
ready to leap at any passing seagull. It's a bit of a challenge. We go back to the house and grab a makeshift picnic of bread, cheese, avocados and tomatoes and walk out to the boat. My two small dogs run around me in circles, excited at the prospect of a trip. Not this time, girls, I say. You get to stay with Fraser. They look dejected. Don't do that. You know full well you'll be happier here, running around chasing rabbits. The black and white dog wags her tail and with twinkling eyes she shoots up the beach. She grabs a ball from by the house and drops it in front of Fraser, who's been watching from the jetty. Fraser looks at the ball and, wagging his tail, picks it up and shoots off into the forest, closely followed by my two dogs. See? They soon forget about me, I laugh. Leodolf unties the boat from the jetty and we set off for the peninsula of Meg's cottage. As we cross the loch, the wind begins to pick up and a swirling mist starts to move across the water. Leodolf frowns. I don't like it, he mutters, indicating the oncoming mist. It's too deliberate. I understand what he means. It's as though the mist is deliberately following us and growing thicker by the minute. And then, as it gets nearer the boat, faces start to appear. Shadow men? But why us and why now? Leodolf looks at the oncoming shadow men warily. Well, I don't feel defeated or low in any way. Neither do I. So why, or more to the point how, can they be drawn to us? I don't know, replies Leodolf, but I don't like the implication. The leering faces are close now and they begin to swirl around the boat, forming a whirlwind effect. And soon it becomes impossible to see the shoreline. Leodolf continues to row for a while and then groans straining to see a landmark through the mist, but it's impossible. It's no good, Kaya, he says. I'm completely disorientated. I look around us. All I can see is the water next to the boat and the swirling shadow men. I draw a symbol to dissipate them and the shadow men recoil, but they don't disappear. This is crazy. They've got so strong. It can only mean one thing, Leodov said, keeping his voice deliberately calm. My heart is sinking, but I can't let the shadow men nearer. I breathe slowly and deeply to steady my nerves and look at Leodolf. I know that he's drawn the same conclusion. We can't stay here, Kaya. We're sitting ducks. Pick a direction, any direction, and go with your instinct and I'll row for it. I'll row in a straight line. I close my eyes and focus on the energy of source within us and around us, feeling the water, the loch and the shape of the shoreline. That way, I say, opening my eyes and pointing to my right. Leodolf begins to row for all he's worth and I can't help but laugh as the rowing boat lurches and shoots forward through the circling shadow men. Yahoo, a motorboat! We'll be aquaplaning in a minute. Leodolf grins, sweat soon pouring down his face with the effort. Don't laugh, it'll be your turn to row in a minute. The surrounding shadow men look confused, our humour distracting them. I draw the symbol to dispel them again, and this time they back away and disperse. 
It looks like the shadow men don't like sarcasm. They need to get a sense of humour. Look, there's the shore. Through the clearing mist, the shoreline is now visible. And with Neardor's rowing, it's not long before we've landed and are standing on the beach in front of the ruined cottage. What now? Neardor says. Shall we take a look? No, I reply. I don't feel I want to. Leodolf. I look at him and continue in half a whisper. This is the first time we've been together, you know, here, since then. I suddenly feel a wave of grief and tears fill my eyes. Leodolf strides over and holds me close. I'm not going to let you go again, Kaya. It's as though the world is spinning and instinctively I open a portal. There's a familiar stretching and squashing and a flashing of light. Lidov stumbles through and looks at me, bemused. I take it that was a portal, some trip. I nod and we look around us. We're still on the shoreline by the cottage. But the cottage is now restored and there's smoke coming from the chimney. And as we watch, we see a woman leave. She's dressed in a tartan cloak and there's a shawl she's carrying. And in the shawl, in the shawl it looks like there's an object wrapped up. Oh, in sword. And she's got a sack of belongings Tears are streaming down her face as she gently closes the door behind her. Meg. Leodolf reaches out for my hand and finding it squeezes it so tightly I think I'm going to yelp. But I understand why. The lone figure before us looks so strong and yet so broken and lost. Holding the sword in the sack she carries them down to the rowing boat that she's pulled up on the shoreline. I can feel Leodolf tense as he notices the boat as well. It's the boat that they had we've arrived in, at least it's one that resembles it. It's so obvious that this is the boat that is to become the hull that Leodolf finds and so lovingly restores all those years later. She can't see us, whispers Leodolf. It's kind of true, it's though we're here, but we're not here. Like being in a film that's unfolding all around us. Quick, let's go with her into the boat, Leodolf says. We'll be too heavy, she'll notice. I don't think so, Leodolf replies. I don't think she'll even know we're there. We quickly follow Meg to the boat. It rocks as we get in, but Meg doesn't notice. She's too busy storing the sack underneath the wooden seat. Then she begins to row. Leodolf is still holding my hand, and I can see why. The look on Meg's face as she sits opposite us is one of total despair. Meg is watching her cottage get behind us getting smaller and smaller on the shoreline as she rows away and the tears are flowing down her face. Kaya, I've always loved you, always, whispers Leodolf. I swear I will never ever leave you again. 
I squeeze his hand in reply and breathe deeply. In my mind I call to the sea, to the sky and to the land all around us. I open my mind and connect to the rhythm, the pulse and the flow of source within all things. Help her, I pray, help her. Opening my eyes, I see a movement in the water, and Meg has seen it too. Kelpies, Meg whispers. The Kelpies swim around the boat, guiding Meg towards the shore. I know that they can see me and Lyodov too. I can hear their voices in my mind. Not addressing me, but talking to Meg. You can't hear us yet, but come home, come back to us, Ianna. Meg rows the boat to the shore, and we watch as she starts to drag the boat towards the forest. I have to help her, Lyodov said. I can't just stand by and watch her struggle. If I push the boat from the back, she won't notice. He walks to the back of the rowing boat and shoves it as Meg pulls, and it's not long before it's resting in among the trees and Meg covers it with branches. That's pretty much exactly where I found it, Lyodov says. When she's finished, Meg returns to the shoreline and looks out across the water. Then she begins to wade out, discarding her clothes as she does so. I'm not sure whether she can see the kelpies now that are starting to appear in the waves. I'm guessing not, as Meg is showing no sign of acknowledging them. Instead, she's transfixed on a white wave that's rapidly approaching the beach. Her body tenses as the wave gets nearer to the shore. And as it's about to break on the beach, a white stallion leaps from it. And on seeing the stallion, Meg gives a cry and collapses to the ground. Lidov catches her and gently lifts her onto the stallion's back. Meg reaches out and, holding on to the horse's neck for support, the stallion looks at Lyodolf and tosses its head in thanks. I'll carry you. I hear the words in my mind. I know this creature. I slowly approach and, holding out my hand, the horse nuzzles into it, recognising who I am. Pendragon? I'll carry you. Pendragon repeats, looking deeply into my eyes. I realise Pendragon wasn't talking to Mag. He'd been talking to me. My whole body begins to tremble with energy and I look at Lyodov questioningly. It's okay, Kaya, go. I nod and draw the symbol to reopen a portal for him. He stands for a moment and watches as I get onto Pendragon's back with him behind Mag. Pendragon slowly begins to walk back into the sea. And as he does, the Kelpies walk alongside us, accompanying me and Meg back home. As the water touches Pendragon's body, he slowly returns to his Kelpie form, and there's an intense surge of white light. I lose sight of Leodolf. The white light was so bright that Lyodov had to shield his eyes from the glare. But as he did, he noticed that there were no longer two figures riding on the white horse, but one. 
Leodolf watched as a wave washed over her, and in an instant she was gone. The sea was blue, expansive, and there was nothing to show what had just occurred. Leodolf felt heavy in his heart, and yet he knew that Kaya had grown, evolved, and he also knew that she would be true to her quest and to him. She would come back. He turned to the portal and disappeared back through it. Thank you for listening. And so that you don't miss an episode of Kaya's journey from Dimensions, The Awakening, then please follow the podcast K. Arwin Dimensions, the book series. And for more information on the author, check out kayamia.co.uk. Until next time, I leave you with some Atlantean light language. Mm-hmm.